Welcome to morning worship at First Church. We'd like to extend a welcome to our listeners on the radio. And if you're a guest or visitor joining us this morning, we're glad you're here. Just a few morning announcements. The Rose on the Altar is in honor of Tom and Diane Fletterjohn, who will celebrate 52 years of marriage on Monday, April 16th. So happy anniversary, Tom and Diane. Congratulations also to Zach and Morgan Strayer on the birth of their son, Knox James, who arrived on Tuesday, April the 10th, weighing 8 pounds, 6 ounces, and was 20 and 3 quarters inches long. He is the grandson of Stan and Susan Reinecke and Toby and Mary Strayer, and the great-grandson of Beverly and Jim Reinecke. He was welcomed home by his brother Gus. So congratulations. 
there will also be no grand adults this Tuesday. That will resume next Tuesday, April the 24th. And also, our church's history had many special events over the past, now 180 years. These events have been converted to DVD for viewing on TV or your computer. We all have fond memories of these celebrations as we have entertained many friends and international guests with worship, music, and food. And any of these videos may now be borrowed from the church office. Uh, now I'd like to take a moment and invite Pastor Joel to uh, let us know about the National Day of Prayer. Yes. Yes, Josephine. <laughs> okay, that's all right. We can tie your shoe in a moment. <laughs> all right. Um, kids, right? <laughs> Uh, on May 3rd, as some of you know, is the National Day of Prayer. Um, it's a call to pray for our communities, our state, and our nation, and our world, um, and, and lift up as a, as a united body of Christ and, and, and concern for these things. Um, and, and we received an email from Emmanuel Church in Kettlersville inviting us to participate in an evening prayer service. And so I think this would be a great idea, a way to show unity within the body of Christ. Um, so if you're available on Thursday, May 3rd, um, from 7 to 9 p.m., uh, we're going to have a day of an evening of prayer on that day at Emmanuel Church in Kellersville. Um, I believe everyone and has a is a um, paper in their bulletin with the information there, including their address um, and some information about the day of prayer. So um, I think this would be a great uh, great thing to do. Prayer is always an important thing to to do, especially um, on the day of prayer. We can join together as brothers and sisters in Christ and lift up our communities and our nation to the Lord. So if you're available that night, um, we're going to join them in prayer, and I encourage you to be a part of that if you're free. Thank you, Pastor Joel. Now, if you'd please stand and join me with this morning's call to worship, taken from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the ground, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many will God, the wonders that you have done, the things you have planned for us, none can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. And now if you'll remain standing to sing our morning worship song, Good, Good Father, the words can be found printed in your bulletin.
to welcome the children forward for this morning's children's chat with Maria Lammers. And as we are children are coming forward, please take a moment and greet your neighbor. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. All right. Well, every once in a while you find something inspiring on Facebook. And I found something kind of inspiring today on Facebook. And it's about Jell-O. How many of you like Jell-O? Yeah? How many of you ever helped mom make Jell-O? Okay. Well, when you make Jell-O, you need some hot water first. And you pour in the contents of the powder that's in the bag. And then you stir it up. And then you add ice cubes to it. Ice cubes? You know what ice cubes are. They come out of the freezer. Okay, now, so it's like a liquid, right? Now, you leave it sit in there, and what happens to that liquid jello? It turns into real jello. Exactly. It turns into real jello. Now, let's say I would pour my jello into something that looked like this. What shape would those jellos take? Yeah, it just happens to be Ohio State Jello molds, huh? 
So it would take the shape of a jello mold. Now, let's say let's say I take my jello and I put it in here and it started out runny, right? Yeah. Yep. And then I take it out and look. How many of you've ever had jello jigglers? Yeah. They're pretty amazing. You've never had jello jigglers? Oh, you need to get hook up with great aunt Carolyn. And see if she'll make you some. Okay. So that one took the shape of a rectangle. Okay. This one took the shape of a square. See? Whoops. It's kind of bouncy. Jello's fun, isn't it? Okay. And we even have some that are in the shape of the Ohio State. Well, no, it's Jello. Okay, and see, then you can just pick them up and you can eat them. Okay? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, now we pour that jello into whatever shape we want it to be in, right? Or sometimes, if you're feeling really creative, you put your jello in a big pan and then you can use like cookie cutters and cut out shapes of whatever you want that jello to look like. But. <coughs> Jello takes the form of whatever container you put it in. Some of them were square, some of them were rectangle, some of them were Ohio State. Okay? So it takes the form, it gets hard like whatever shape that is. Just like we are shaped by what we are surrounded by. Okay? We are shaped by the people we're around. We're shaped into the people we are by the TV shows we watch, by the music we listen to, and the stories we read. Okay, So if, if we surround ourselves with people who are kind to us and people who use their manners, then that's what we're going to do. And if we listen to music that is about good things and about God... Or just fun songs? Yeah. Then those are the kind of things that we start, that we're surrounded by, that we take on. But if we watch a lot of violent shows or play video games that shows where we're hurting other people, then our brains start to think that that's okay. But is that what the Bible tells us? No, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we need to love one another. Okay? So, like the jello, it turns into whatever form it's poured into. The things that are around us are going to form who we become. And so, we want to be with people who are kind. We want to make sure we read our Bible so that we're surrounded by God's love. And when we watch TV and play video games, we want to make sure that, you know, they're good kinds of video games, not violent ones. No. Some sports ones are okay. No. Okay? Or we could go back to the old-fashioned kind where, you're, where you have Pac-Man and you're just gobbling up little dots. No? That doesn't sound like fun? <laughs> okay. So let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to remember that we are 
formed by what we're surrounded by. So help us to remember to be surrounded by good things, to participate in good things. Okay? Because that's who we're going to become. And let us go out and be that good person that other people should be around. Let us use our manners and show God's love in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Keep in mind the family of friends of those lost in our service in the last week. At Fort Irwin, California, Private Julian Diaz, 19, from Tolleson, Arizona. And at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, in an Apache helicopter crash, Chief Warrant Officer 3rd Ryan M. Connolly, 37, from Manchester, Missouri, and Warrant Officer James Casadana, 28, from Kanaohe Bay, Hawaii. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray, Lord, that you would be made known in our midst. We pray that you would um, be here with us and your spirit would guide us as we gather together as your body to, to worship and praise you this day. Lord, we think of other other churches, other gatherings of Christians, both here and in our communities, but also around the world that are gathering to worship you this morning. And we pray that you would move in their midst as well and pray that you would be made known there and be glorified there. Uh, Lord, thank you for the body of Christ here in New Knoxville and around the world that can uh, that is is gathering to to be an encouragement to one another and to worship you. And I pray that in all those places and all those churches that you would be glorified. Um, Lord, we we pray this day uh, for our many and many concerns that are on our hearts and our minds. Uh, we, we pray for the list of names that we have in our bulletin and, and the needs that they represent. And we pray that you would uh, work in each and every one of those situations. We pray for your provision. We pray for your healing. We pray for your love and your peace to be made known. Um, and we pray also, Lord, for the many concerns that aren't listed there that are represented here in this church building as well as those who are listening out on the radio uh, Lord, we, we acknowledge that we can't, um, can't do it on our own and that we can't um, often get through this life uh, in our own strength and our own power. It's just too much to handle at times. And so we pray that your spirit would guide us, your spirit would be uh, present here with us and give us the strength, give us the peace, and provide for us, Lord, whatever it is we need in those moments. Lord, we also pray uh, for our uh, country and our military, especially at this time with the events that have been taking place this weekend. Um, we pray, Lord, uh, for an end to senseless violence uh, that's in Syria and around the world, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would, um, your peace would be made known. And we pray also that you would transform hearts and minds, Lord, even in, in the middle of those situations. We gather today and we're studying the life of a, a man uh, who has changed in Damascus. And, and his heart and his mind was changed and transformed by your grace. And so I pray that that would be true not only 2,000 years ago, but today as well, that people would be transformed uh, by your grace and, and would turn to you, Lord, uh, and here in New Knoxville, as well as in, in Syria and other places in the world. 
Lord, we acknowledge that you are our only hope and that in you we have the hope of, of peace when your kingdom comes. And we look forward to that day. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to to come forward at this time. While the choir sings, I will keep my eyes on you.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 20 through 31. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoner to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. And now if you would continue standing and join us in singing hymn number 52, Our God in Ages Past.
Amen. You may be seated. Father, we ask that you would be with us now as we open your word. And I pray that you would give me words to speak. I pray that you would open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. And may you be lifted up and may our, our focus and our attention be on you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Probably get my notes out, right? When I was a, a kid, I loved um, the Lord of the Rings, and I think I've mentioned this before. And I gave you the warning that I'm going to let my nerd show here, but I'm going to let it happen again here. Um, what, I love the books, I love the movies, and I was just very much into the story. And I, the reason why I think I love the story so much is because I felt like. I wanted to be a part of it, right? Like I wanted to, I wanted to have that sort of adventure, that sort of purpose, that sort of calling that Frodo and the Fellowship had to, to, to in, as part of that story, as part of those books in the movie. Uh, I, it sounds weird, but I kind of would hope, you know, I think there was a part of me that wished like Gandalf would like show up at my door and knock and tell me that I had this adventure to go on and that there was this greater purpose and greater calling to my life. I wanted, you know, there to be something more to life than just kind of the, the things that we see and the everyday kind of experiences that we have. I also think that's why, um, you know, superhero movies are so popular nowadays. You know, look at the last decade, even, even 20 years of, of movies and some of the most popular movies in our, in our country have been superhero movies. This idea that there's something greater inside of us. There's some secret power or something that has, has, has transformed an ordinary life into something extraordinary, has made something significant out of something that seemed to be just everyday, plain, and kind of boring. And I think those movies, and whether it's superhero movies or something like Lord of the Rings, it, it catches our attention and fascinates us because that's something we desire. We desire to, to wake up one morning and see our life changed for the better. We desire to have our eyes open to see something beyond just the everyday routine that we're so used to. I remember when I was a, a youth pastor, we would go on um, mission trips and, and we'd go to, well, Solid Rock Camp. I'm sure some of you are familiar with, with that ministry. Um, the, the church I was a part of as a youth pastor uh, was a part of that as well for several years. And so I got to spend a few years as a camp counselor for the high schoolers and even the director of the senior high group with Allie. And, and I remember those experiences were always just amazing. You know, you'd, whether it was a mission trip or camp or, or something along those lines, you'd go, and I'm sure young life would apply here as well, although I haven't personally been involved in that. You go on these trips and, and you just have these very important, momentous kind of experiences. And you're like high as a kite when you come home. You have these mountaintop experiences and you think, man, I wish my life was like this every day. I wish I could spend all day, every day at Young Life Camp or at Solid Rock Camp or at a mission trip, just experiencing God in that very unique and very powerful way. But my experience as a youth pastor was that high doesn't last forever. Right, Tori? <laughs> that, that you come down the other side of the mountain eventually. Um, and that, and the change that you would see a lot of times in those kids and those teens and, and let's be honest and expand that category to adults as well when you have moments like that, it doesn't always last. It doesn't quite stick all of the time. Now, I'm not saying those experiences aren't important because they are. And, and a lot of times those changes do last, but they're just in a, in a different way than you experience during that week or during that trip. But I remember wishing, like, 
I remember seeing the change that was taking place in those kids and wishing, man, like, you got it. Like, just keep going, keep going in that direction. And, and more often than not, eventually things would just kind of fade out and people would go back to their everyday normal kind of routine. And see, those mountaintop experiences, I don't think they're meant to last, but they are meant to change us. They are meant to transform us from the inside out. And while we can't, you know, quit our jobs and just spend all of our time at Young Life Camp or <laughs> drop out of school in order to do that, uh, we can take the changes that we experience, the grace that we experience, and allow it to transform us and, and, and move on from that point as a changed person. I share all this with you today as we begin our, our, our study on the second passage of, of Paul's life that we're looking at together, because Paul had just experienced the change. Right? He had just experienced something pretty dramatic, and that was meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road that we talked about last week. And that change was something that would impact Paul for the rest of his life. This wasn't just a one-day, one-moment kind of experience, but this is something that changed Paul to his very core. And it's something that, that changed him for the better, obviously. In fact, Paul became this very unrecognizable person. The, the one who was known as a persecutor became a preacher. The one who was a murderer became a minister. And that's a change that we can't really do ourselves, no matter how hard we try. It's a transformation that can only come from an experience with the risen Christ, and experiencing and accepting and receiving His grace. And that's exactly what Paul experienced last week on the Damascus Road. And this passage we have in front of us is just goes on to show that change that took place there. This wasn't just business as usual, but it was a change that took place uh, from that moment, and we'll see it carried out through the rest of Paul's life. You see, we're transformed by God's grace. We can't be the same person we were before we met Jesus and before we experienced His grace. I love this this quote by the by the d- disciples in Damascus, they have heard Paul preach. He began to first in the synagogues. It says uh, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, "Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests?" I love that question. Isn't he the guy that we used to know? Isn't he the one that we've heard of? This can't be the same person that we see before us today preaching about Jesus and sharing the good news of the gospel. See, Paul had been transformed by grace and people were able to see an immediate change in his life and his behavior and his actions and his words. He was no longer the same man who was persecuting the early church. And it's difficult for them to reconcile the Paul that they knew who, who had caused havoc in Jerusalem with the one who now stood before them and preached that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't seem like they could be compatible. This couldn't have been the same person. But in fact, it was. And the reason why Paul could stand before them and preach that Jesus was the Messiah, the reason why that change took place wasn't anything that Paul had done. It wasn't anything that he had, you know, pulled himself up by the bootstraps and decided to change his life. This is a response to the experience of God's grace on the Damascus Road. It was a response to, to meeting Jesus truly for the first time as Messiah and Lord. 
I loved uh, Maria's children's chat today with the jello mold. It made me think of a passage from, uh, I believe it's in Jeremiah. I didn't get a chance to look it up, but talking about how, how God is like this potter and we are the clay and he shapes us and he molds us. And, 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 and see that the purpose of the Christian, Christian life, the purpose of, of meeting Christ and receiving his grace is that God can mold us more and more into the image of his son so that we become more and more like Jesus. It's a change that takes place, but it's God working in and through us to make something new out of this lump of clay. To make something new out of us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about how in Christ we are a new creation. The new has come and the old is gone. Now I think of the image of a butterfly. Right? A caterpillar you know, one day decides, he, you know, he, he, he wraps himself in his cocoon and, and spends some time in there. And it's not the same creature that emerges days or weeks later. I have no idea how long they spend in there. But it's not the same creature. It's not a caterpillar that comes out. It's a butterfly. That is a new creation. It resembles the old. It has some characteristics of the old. But it is not just some superficial change. It's something significant. It's a change at the very core of what that is. And in the same way, that's what God does in us. He, he transforms us internally. He transforms us so we're not the same person we were before. And the question is, what, what proves that this kind of transformation is genuine? I mean, we can make New Year's resolutions and decide to change. We can, we can decide, alright, I'm gonna be a better person, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna be nicer to my family, or I'm gonna be a better employee, or I'm gonna be a better boss. And you can choose to make those sorts of changes, but, but what does it mean? How do we know that a change is truly genuine? That it's gonna, it's actually a change and not just a superficial, um, um, kind of change, but something that's really genuine and true. Well, for us, as we're talking about the Christian life, the change that is significant, the change that is genuine is is this person who becomes more and more like Jesus. That's the kind of change that will last. That's the kind of change that is genuine and that'll be that will will be um, lasting and significant. And that's what God does in us. He turns us more and more into his son. In Second Corinthians, chapter three, we get a, a picture of what this looks like. Paul here, later in his life, is, is reflecting on the change that takes place within the Christian life. And he compares, it's Second Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. He's comparing the change that takes place to what Moses experienced on Mount Sinai. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. If you remember when Moses would go up on the mountain and he'd come back down, his face would literally glow with the glory of God. And so he put a veil over his face in order to kind of hide that from the people. Verse 14 says, But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
See, that's the change that takes place. It's, it's that ongoing transformation to become more like Him, to be made in His image. And it says it's an ever-increasing glory, which means it doesn't happen all at once. Right? I said last week, Paul's experience is pretty unique. Not all of us have Damascus Road kind of experiences where we're blinded by the light and all of a sudden this, this immediate and significant change takes place. For most of us, it's, it's a progress. It's, it's a process over time. It's, it's being made in His image with ever-increasing glory. But it also means that God's not done with us and He's always going to be continuing to, to work in us to help us to become more like Him. So the question is, do people, do people see a difference in you? Are you the same person now that you were before you gave your life to Christ? Or has there been changes that have taken place? Can you point to something in your life that is different now because you know Jesus than it would be if you didn't know Him at all? That's the kind of change that we're talking about. Significant change in the way we live, in the way we act, the way we talk, the way we think. Those are the kind of changes that God makes in us to help us to become more like Him. And it's things that we should be able to see over, over time. And it's not, again, it's not what we do, but it's what God does in us. Hear these words from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I have remained. Excuse me. Lost my place. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you, can, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, as we, as we give our lives to Christ and as we trust in Him, we're like that vine and that branch. He, he becomes a part of us through His Spirit. And we become a part of Him, I should say, maybe more accurately. And as he, as we remain in Him and He remains in us, then we bear fruit. And that change that takes place is evident to all who see. So again, I ask you, what sort of change has taken place in your life? What difference has knowing and experiencing Christ made for you? I encourage you to, to prayerfully examine yourself. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is Psalm 139, 23 through 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer to ask God to search your heart and search your mind to see if, if there is anything that needs to change or if anything that has changed that you can thank God for. But another thing you can do is ask someone you know and trust who knows you well. Because a lot of times we have blind spots, right? We don't, we don't always see it. And so we need someone, a trusted friend, a loved one, a member of your family to, 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 Say, listen, I've seen some change in you. Here's the, here's the significant difference that Christ has made in your life. And you know, maybe that conversation is, I haven't seen a whole lot of change and, 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 and it was a way to encourage and build you up and, and help to point you in the right direction. But having a conversation like that can be helpful to see the change that has taken place. 
So Paul wasn't the same person that he was before. And as, as a transformed uh, person has experienced God's grace, he then began to share the gospel boldly. He was unashamed to live for Christ and to live, to live faithfully in the place that God has put him. He didn't waste any time. I thought that was so interesting. He, he spent a few days in Damascus and, and at once it says he began to preach the gospel and he did so boldly. He was able to convince and, and prove to people that Jesus was the Messiah and he did it even in spite of opposition. You see, it's never too early to share the gospel. You don't have to, there's no waiting period for new Christians. You can easily, and, and, and God calls us to begin sharing His love and His grace and His mercy and the good news of Christ as soon as we ourselves have experienced it, just as Paul did here. And I was thinking about what that looks like. What does it mean for us to share the gospel boldly? Not all of us are called to preach, right? Not all of us are called to, to give up everything and move to a different country or a different culture in order to share the gospel as a missionary. But we all are called to share the gospel and to do so boldly. And that means being good stewards of God's grace where God has placed you here in New Knoxville, in your families, at your jobs. We think of stewardship so much simply as our finances. Are we generous? Are we giving to the church? Are we giving to other organizations who are doing God's work? But stewardship is so much more than just our finances. Stewardship involves taking care of your time, taking care of your talent, taking care of your testimony, and as well as your treasure, and sharing those things as God leads you to. So it means giving of those things, giving of your time, giving of your, of your talents, how God has created you and the gifts and the abilities that he's given you, as well as sharing your testimony. See, everyone has a testimony. We don't need a degree in order to share that with others. My favorite example of that right there in the Gospels is in John chapter 9, the man who was born blind. Right? Jesus heals him, and, and, and as a result of this, this guy is pulled into and is questioned by the religious leaders. And they begin to pester him about who this Jesus is that healed him. And finally, he gets kind of fed up and he says, listen, I don't know whether this man is a sinner or not. I don't know who he is. But here's the one thing I do know. I was blind and now I see. That's the difference he's made in my life. And all of us can do that. You don't need to be trained as a, as a pastor, as a missionary, to simply share the difference and share the change that God has made in your life. And we must be willing to do so even in spite of opposition. Two times here in this passage, Paul is persecuted and, and, and his, is in danger of losing his life, and yet he kept going. And I believe he did so because his focus was on Christ and not himself. He was living for something bigger. Remember I said before, I think there's something in, innate in us that wants, a, wants to know there's something more than just this life, more than just the daily routine we go through. And we can experience that and know that by knowing Christ, because there is something greater, and that's knowing him. There is something greater than this world, and that is God's kingdom. And as we keep our focus on him, and as we, as we fix our eyes on that reality, it helps, gives us the strength to endure whatever hardship we may face. In John 16.33, Jesus tells his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. What a great promise of God, right? In this world you will have trouble. That doesn't go up on motivational posters too often. But, but Jesus promises us that we will have trouble. But he also says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
That's the promise to hold on to right there. We will experience trouble. We will experience hardship. And especially as we begin to share our faith boldly. But we have the promise that he has overcome the world. And in 1 John 4, 4, he remind, John reminds the people of God that the one who is in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is, the, is greater than the one who is in the world. We have God's presence in us. And that's what strengthens us and encourages us and equips us to share our testimony. So Paul began to, as a transformed person, began to share his faith boldly. But also, he wasn't able to do it on his own. He needed to be encouraged by others. Paul would not have escaped to Damascus. He would not have been welcomed into fellowship with the apostles in Jerusalem. And he wouldn't have escaped from there either if it weren't for the encouragement and the practical support of fellow believers. He was dependent on them for, for practical support. They helped him escape when he was in danger. And without him, his story would be, Paul's story would be very different. In the same way, we can't go through life on our own. We need the loving support of a Christian community to equip us and to guide us and to nurture us. We're not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians, right? We're meant to be a part of a body. That's why we're here today, right? That's why we gather together in small groups and Bible studies and Sunday school classes. That's why those listening on the radio have an opportunity to join us in that way because we need that sort of encouragement and support. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul writes to the church there, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as in fact you are doing. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24-25, through he says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, there's three examples here in this passage, and in Acts 9, and Paul's story, um, of, of, of that loving Christian support that we are in need of. And so as I, as I list these for you, I want you to think, which one are you? Which one could you be for someone else? What kind of loving support and encouragement could you give to a brother or sister in Christ? But also think this question, which one are you most in need of right now? What kind of encouragement are, are you desperately seeking? First of all, our first example is actually from our last passage, and that's from Ananias, this, this, uh, this brother in Christ who came and prayed for Saul immediately after his encounter with the risen Lord. And I pointed out last week, the amazing thing about that prayer is, is, is not that Ananias followed God's leading, not that Ananias went and prayed for this person that had persecuted the church, the one who was sent, in fact, to arrest people like Ananias, but it was that as he prayed, he called him Brother Saul. And welcomed him into that Christian fellowship. Remember a couple weeks ago, you know, there's just something amazing about people who are willing to pray for you and pray over you about things. I remember a couple weeks ago at the sunrise service, there was the, the group of, of girls that were, that were willing to pray for people. There was a place to put prayer requests and they were even willing to pray with you if you wanted. And I remember I just went over and I said, you know, can you pray for me? Can you pray that, you know, for the services today? And it was just amazing to, to have People have youth praying over me. And it was a very, such an encouraging thing, and that's what Ananias did for Paul here in this passage. There were also the unnamed disciples in Damascus and in Jerusalem that helped him escape. That sort of practical support is so much overlooked at times. There's the gifts of, of, of helping other people. There's the gift of hospitality. There's the gift of generosity, which are so, so many times pushed into the background. 
but are so important to encourage and build up brothers and sisters in Christ. And then finally, there's the example of Barnabas, whose name actually means son of encouragement. Someone to vouch for you, just like he did for Paul. As he arrived in Jerusalem and his reputation of a persecutor of the early church was there, they were unwilling to really accept Paul and his fellowship until Barnabas vouched for him, until Barnabas spoke up and told the story, until he came alongside Paul and, 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 and encouraged him in that way. And it was at that point that the church welcomed Paul into their midst and, and he was able to minister alongside them. Oftentimes we need someone to plead our case to others, to tell our story. And in closing, I just want to highlight here the, the last verse, this passage that, you know, talking about Paul's experience and his response to God's grace ends with a description of the early church. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. I love this description of the church because it says there's two things that were significant about it. It feared, it was in living in the fear of the Lord and it had the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. To fear the Lord is to be in awe on Him, to, to glorify Him, to give Him the respect and honor He's due. And to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit is to allow God, God's presence to, to work in our midst and be willing to, to be used by God in that way. You see, this is the kind of church, this kind of church is possible when it's full of people who have been transformed by the grace of Christ just as Paul had. People who have seen positive change, people that are willing to share their faith boldly, people that are willing to encourage others and be encouraged in return. That's what a healthy church looks like. That's what a church that is, fears the Lord and, and is encouraged by the Holy Spirit looks like. Is it's full of people who have allowed God's grace to make an impact in their lives. And, and allows, allows God's grace to, to make a significant change. And you see, a church that fears the Lord and is encouraged by the Holy Spirit will help people to do those things too. It's kind of like a feedback loop. As, as we as individuals allow God's Spirit to work in us and, and we experience God's grace and change, that then allows us as a church to be a healthy, vibrant, growing church. And then as our church is healthy and vibrant and growing, then it's also going to equip us as individuals to continue to, to be transformed and changed by God's grace. And it's just like a feedback loop that just keeps going around in circles. As, as the church is healthier than it has, then we as individuals are able to grow and grow and change as, as God works in us. And as we grow and change as individuals, then the, the church will be healthier and grow as well. See, a healthy church is full of people who have been changed by an experience of God's grace. And I pray that that's the kind of church we continue to be. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that your grace has transformed us. That as we experience your grace, you don't leave us just as we are, but you change us from the inside out so that we can know you, so that we can share our faith boldly, and that we can be an encouragement to others and be encouraged by them. And I pray this day that you would help us to be those kind of people and that you would help this church to be that kind of church where we are unrecognizable because of your grace and your goodness. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, we're going to sing the first and third verse of Jesus Calls Us, which is number 375 in your blue hymnals, number 375.
I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be transformed by your grace. I pray that we would be changed people as a result of knowing you. And I pray that we would all experience the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in new and powerful ways. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Go in peace.